We're Australians, right? We're Aussies. We love flies, meat pies and hot blue skies. What does it mean to be Australian? When you think of an Aussie, us, what do you think about? Do you, do you think about mateship? Does mateship define us as people? The idea of a fair go or egalitarianism, is that, is that what makes an Australian? Is it being able to watch the movie The Castle and go, oh, that's my family? Is that what makes us Australian? I don't know. I don't know. There's probably a lot of things. There's probably a huge list of things you could come up with if you had a few minutes um, of what defines us. But one thing I think that I notice about us Aussies is we love to sink the slipper in. We just love it. Um, We love to find someone, anyone we can gang up on and really give them some curry. And occasionally you'll watch all of Australia rally around together and unite together to just give it to somebody, to really sink the boot in, to express our moral outrage. And there are lots of, lots of groups of people we do this to, anyone from New Zealand, um, footy players, they're a, they're a hot topic. Um, I think we've just got a kind of, a, 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 a kind of rolling thing with politicians and uh, the government, we hate them all the time. But I, I think what I've noticed really recently over the last 12 months have been uh, cricket players. Oh, we got it on then, didn't we? We sunk the slipper into uh, Steve Smith and Cameron Bancroft and Davey Warner for cheating. I mean, they were Australians, they were playing for our team and they cheated. They cheated! Bunch of mongrels, they should never play for Australia again. And you can feel it, and, that, and then it went in the paper editorials. We were all just outraged together. It was fantastic. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we just hoe in to the next person and the next person and the next person? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. But one reason, I think, is it makes us feel good. It feels good to do that, doesn't it? To be together um, smashing somebody else. They're really bad. And I think it's kind of a natural thing for us because if I can point at that person and say, look how awful they are, well, I'm not like that, am I? I would never do that. I would never tamper with the ball during a cricket match if only they picked me for Australia. I wouldn't do that. I'm better than them. I I, uh, had a first-year student... um, come up to me once at the Bible Talks, we were just having a chat after the Bible Talks, and he was talking about moving into a dorm at uni, and if, you, if you're not aware, uni's a pretty debauched environment. Uh, students leave home for the first time, and it's kind of like schoolies every day. Um, there's, there's a lot of drinking and partying, there's a lot of sex and drugs and rock and roll uh, at university, and this, this young university student was witnessing this in his dorm at uni, and he said to me, he said, without, without any um, embarrassment at all, I'm better than them. I'm better than those people. Now, most of us wouldn't actually say that out loud, but I reckon most of us think that because we love to sink the slipper in. We love to justify ourselves by condemning others. It's Australia's favourite way of making ourselves look good. We're not really much on achievement. We just want to kind of step on somebody else's head to get a bit taller. Well, today, Paul has a word for us Aussies. Um, He has a word for hypocrites. 
Last week, we looked at the gospel. We started this looking, look at the gospel. The gospel, God's great news, the, the important news, the good news. I'm not sure exactly how to define it, but this, this significant news for all the world. And Paul's trying to tell us why this is God's power. God's power to save everybody. This, why this gospel is the most important message in the world. Um, a message of life from the dead. And we began last week, as you know, looking at the gospel of God's anger. The good news, it turns out, is that God is angry. And he's angry with people, with people who've turned their backs on him. And you would have seen that slide last week from the way people think about God to the way people, what people desire to do to what people then actually do um, through Romans chapter 1. And you would have seen this, you know, that God's condemning people who... Well, who have evil worship, they worship, they no longer worship God, they now worship the works of their hands and themselves, and that evil worship leads to evil actions in the world. It was a, it was a word to condemn the world, and it was aimed outwards at people. And you could sit there thinking, well, yeah, they're pretty bad. And I know some people who are just like that. They're pretty bad. But what about us? What about the rest of us Aussies? Well, Paul points the finger back at us. He takes us into the room of mirrors, as Roy and HG would say, in verses 1 to 4. Have a look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Here's where it starts to get nasty for us. He says, you therefore, he's like pointing a finger, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, You are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Do you think you will escape God's judgment? Ouch. See, for Paul, it turns out that we, we Australians, we we are part of they. We are them. We are part of everybody. It's easy, isn't it, to point the finger at other people. We do it all the time. It's easy to slam Warner as a despicable cheat and an awful human being. But then we're cheaters all the time. Australians are famous, aren't they, putting the dodgy tax returns in. It's easy to point the finger at those people who go around thieving around your suburb and town. But then we will steal stuff from work and other places too. We will hate other people. We will harbour bitterness in our hearts. We will say evil things about others. Rather than speaking to them ourselves, we'll gossip behind their back. We will hurt people. We do the same sorts of things. It's all of us. And the one thing we know from last week's talk is that, well, God's judgment is based on truth. God's judgment is right. And so Paul asks the question, he says, you Aussies, you reckon you're going to be okay? You spend your whole life pointing at other people to make yourself look good. Do you think you'll be okay? Do you think it's just the bad people in Dubbo that are in trouble? You know, we know, like, 
I don't know about you, but in my town, there are places in town, we know where the kind of the awful people live. And they're awful people. We wouldn't let our kids play with their kids, you know. No way. We, keep, we stay away from those awful people. And Paul's asking that question, do you think it's just those people that are in trouble? With God, do you think it's just those people God is angry with? Do you think their evil makes you all right, makes you okay? Do you think if you can just kind of, kind of shout about how bad they are, God will kind of ignore your evils, maybe comparatively smaller evils, but evil's just the same? That's the question he asks. His point is, all of us are in trouble. All of us face God's anger. Why? Because God is completely fair. Have a look at verse 5, at what he says. He says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he's done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and who follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. God doesn't show favouritism. You know, from, from childhood... Um, we, are, we have an acute sense of fairness, don't we? I think one of the most popular sayings in my family is, that's not fair. I grew up saying it, my kids say it, but we say it too, don't we? We still say it, we say it into adulthood. Anyone who's played local sport will have used that expression, that's not fair, because the umpires don't always get it right, they get it wrong. Sometimes they're even biased when they get it wrong. It happens in our workplaces, in our schools. It happens everywhere. Unfairness is rampant. We know about unfairness. It's often true, but it's never true of God. God is completely and scrupulously fair. And he's completely and scrupulously fair with all of us, with all Australians. God will never blame any of us for what somebody else has done. He won't tar us with the same brush. You know how we do that? We, we kind of go, well, you're one of those people, so I'll tar you with the same brush as all those people. God will never do that. He'll never tar you with the same brush of other people. He won't blame you for what they've done. He will never sweep anybody's evil under the carpet. God will never go, well, you and you and you, you're out, but you, oh, that's okay, we'll just we'll forget about that. God will never do that. He will never sweep the evil of some people under the carpet. God will never show favouritism. And we know we do that, don't we? We play favourites. I won't ask you if you've got a favourite child. Um, We all do. No, 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 no. Um, God will never show favouritism. He's not like that. He is completely and scrupulously fair. In fact, I think this is the second big lesson we learn in the gospel about God, God, about God the creator. The first lesson we learn is that God is angry with the evil that we've perpetrated. He's angry with us for turning away from him and turning our world into a place of evil. And I think the second big lesson we learn is that this God is completely 
fair. He's just. That's the word we, we use, isn't it? God is totally just. There is no one who will stand in front of God on the last day and say, but that's unfair. That's not fair. You're not treating me fairly. There is no one who will do that. Everyone will get exactly what they deserve. Everyone. And that, friends, is a problem for hypocrites. It's a big problem for hypocrites. We always want to do the comparison thing. We want to compare ourselves to somebody else and say, no, but I'm better than them. I'm a little bit less evil than them. But God's not going to do comparison shopping on the last day. God's going to treat us exactly how we deserve to be treated. He's going to give us what we deserve. He's not going to compare us. That's a problem for us Aussies. Because the best we can say about ourselves is we're a bit of a mixed bag, can't we? I think that's the point of the next paragraph. Have a look at, um, at just verse 14. We'll just read a couple of uh, one sentence for this paragraph. In verse 14 he says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they're a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. The best we can hope for, I think, is this, this mixed bag kind of diagnosis of our lives. There may be people in town who are much more awful than us, but all of us are a mixed bag. Even those people will do some good things. And we might comparatively do a few more good things. We might be a bit nicer to our neighbours or to our family or to our dog or whatever it is. We, we'll be comparatively a bit nicer, but we're all the same mixed bag. And the good is mixed in with the evil, and that's the best you can say about us. And so we'll stand in front of God, exposed. Exposed for ourselves about who we are. Crocodile and D. I don't know if you watched that movie. That's the second iconic Australian movie, isn't it? That defines Australia. Have you seen Crocodile Dundee? One and two, not three. No one watches three. But I think that um, Crocodile Dundee is famous in the first film for saying, me and God, we'd be mates. Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember that. It's probably been a while since you've seen it. But that's what he says. He says, you know... He's out in the bush and he's looking up at the sky and he's, having, he's just he's one with nature. He says, me and God, we'd be mates. And I think that's how a lot of Australians think about it. God would be okay with me. Sure, I've, you know, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm okay and we, we'd be fine. Because that's what mates are like, aren't we? We take the good with the bad. So me and God, we'd be mates. And I think that's a lot of us Australians and all of us are in for an awful surprise. Because it turns out, me and God, we aren't mates. It turns out that God takes my evil as seriously as he takes everybody else's evil. We're in for an awful surprise. Okay, so there's, there's the good news. The good news, it turns out, is bad news for us Australians. But what about us? 
What about us sitting in this room? What about religious people? Because surely religious people, we're trying to be, we're trying to be better. We're trying to be good, aren't we? Well, there's a word for religious people too in this letter. Because Paul turns to his own people, to the Jewish nation in verses 17 to 25. Take a quick look. We'll read a big chunk here um, because it's worth seeing what he says. Have a look at verse 17. He says, Now if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, If you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor for the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, well, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has some value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you've become as though you had not been circumcised. This is what he says, this is his own people he's speaking to. The Jews are the ultimate religious people because their religion is from God. Most of us, we just make up our own religions, but this religion is a religion from God. It's God who saved the Jewish people. It's God who chose them. It's God who gave them his law, his word. He gave them his own word to show them who he was and what he wanted from them. It's God who gave them circumcision as a sign that they were his people. They had all the advantages But Paul says all those advantages are nothing if you don't keep the law, if you don't do what God says, if you do evil, which is in fact what the Jews did. From the very first day, they failed. They failed as God's people. They were so proud of who they were. They were so proud of their status as God's people. And the signs of that, we have, look, we have this, we have the law, we've got the book. We're circumcised, we're God's people, we're special, we're unique. They were so proud of their status. And yet, they failed to keep it. They did the same evil as the nations around them. They fell into the same worship of idols the same false worship, and into the same evil actions as the people around them. And Paul says, if you do the same evil, if you don't keep the law, what do you think is going to happen? The law is going to condemn you, he says. And as the law condemns the Jewish people, so it condemns, I think, all religious people. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 9. At what he says. Here's his big conclusion. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? That's by we, I think he means we Jewish people. He says, not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. There's the purpose of his argument. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. And these words that Paul's quoting here are the words of the law, of the word of the Old Testament. God's words to his people. And they're words that condemn. They condemn them all. There is no one who is righteous. And so have a look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. You see, these words that condemn Israel condemn all of us. They show that we all fail. God gave the Jews every advantage you can have. He saved them and put them in his land that he gave to them. He gave them his law. He gave them everything they needed and they could not keep it. They could not um, stay in his word. And their failure is all of our failure. He says, this, this is here, these words are here to show, to silence every mouth, hold the, for the whole world to be held accountable to God. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what side of town you live on, doesn't matter your family background, doesn't matter how nice you've been, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God shows no favouritism. It's what you do that matters and what we do condemns us and condemns us all. And that's the horrible conclusion of the good news here. The horrible conclusion is that we are in a trap we can't get ourselves out of. We face God's anger, God's judgment. And it's just anger. It's completely fair anger. He's not just angry with those people over there, those people out there. He's angry with these people in here. And it doesn't matter if you go to church every week of the year, every year of your life. That won't save you. It doesn't matter how wet you get. Whether you just get a little bit sprinkled on your head or you get dunked all the way in, that won't save you. It doesn't matter what you do, how much you serve, how many good works you think you can do, it won't save you. Not even being in the church band will save you. This is the bad good news. Or the good bad news. I couldn't figure out which way to put it. And we're left with our desperate, desperate need. What defines us as Australians? What defines us as people? Here's what I think Paul would say. Here's what I think Paul's gospel would say. What defines us is we need mercy. We need grace. We need something undeserved 
unearned. We need an alien righteousness. What do I mean by that? I mean we need, we need something that comes from outside of ourselves because there is nothing in us to save us. We need something we can't get ourselves, we can't find, we can't go out and seek. The Christian life is not a hero quest. We're not on this hero's journey to find what we need to succeed and to make it to heaven. Because right at the outset, we realise the quest is useless. We fail. We fail utterly and miserably. We're lost. We're condemned with everybody else. We desperately, desperately need mercy. We face God's anger, all of us, and there is no hope in ourselves. Here's Paul's message for today. You're going to love it. It's an epithy sentence. You are worse than you think, and you cannot fix it yourself. There it is, in a nutshell. Unlike Catherine's photos, the gospel makes us look worse, not better. You are worse than you think, and you cannot fix it yourself. It's kind of a bit of a depressing message to get from church, isn't it? All of us, all of us in Dubbo, all of humanity are in desperate need. We're on death row. We are hopeless and helpless. There is no pride for us. There's no pride out there and there is no pride in here. There cannot be. All that, all that we have is a helpless, hopeless cry for help, for mercy. And we have to wait for next week to see how the story ends. To see why this news is actually good news. How can it be good news for me to stand here and condemn all of us together? Well, that's what we find out when Paul reveals where righteousness comes from. But for now, for today, what can we take away from this from a death sentence like this. I want to suggest um, three things at least we can take away. I think the first is self-awareness. The gospel, friends, calls us to know ourselves well as people. To know ourselves properly as people. The one thing we should know as gospel people is that we are sinners and we need a saviour that we're in desperate need of mercy, that we are no better than anybody else. We are no better than anybody else. We should never say what that young fellow said, ever. Because we know what we are truly like. Self-awareness probably should make us less apt to jump on the bandwagon, sinking the slipper into other people. So there's the first one, self-awareness. Humility goes along with that, doesn't it? Um, we, we ought to be humble, not proud. This gospel gives us a realism about ourselves and our lives. What's the difference between me and the rest of the people in this town? The gospel says... Nothing. Nothing. 
There is no difference between me and the worst people in this town. When we stand before God exposed. Should make us a whole lot less judgy, I think. Um, We should be filled with humility. And the third lesson I think that this teaches us is compassion. Compassion for sinners rather than judgment. Because we know where sin comes from, don't we, deep down inside. We know that we all have it in us. We should be a lot more understanding, a lot more willing to forgive. Because we know we're sinners too. We know that all of us are beggars together. And we're going to see where we go to beg next week. I think that's what this teaches us. To be aware of ourselves, to be humble and to be compassionate. Because sin is in all of us too. It's too hard for all of us. How about we pray? Father, I'm not sure I want to say thank you today. This word feels like a harsh word and a hard word. But we thank you because it's a word we all need to hear. Before we understand how incredible your grace and mercy is, we need to understand how desperately needful we are, how helpless and hopeless we are, what sin has done to all of us. And so, Father, open our eyes to our sinfulness. Open our eyes to our pride our evils, our gossip and slander, the hurt we we give to others. Help us to see ourselves clearly. And when we see ourselves clearly, Father, help us to be humble and to be compassionate with other people. Help us to be those who never um, jump in with everybody else in judgment on others, because we know when we do that, we just simply point the finger straight back at ourselves and help us to look for mercy. Amen.